Welcome to the HR LD podcast, where we explore cutting edge HR trends and best practices with top leaders who are shaping the future of work. Hello, and welcome back to the HR LD podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO at JGA Recruitment Group, and we're specialist HR recruiters. And today we're going to be tackling mental health in the workplace. And I'm joined by mental health expert Paul McGregor. He's a mental health speaker and founder of Every Mind at Work. Now, Every Mind at Work, for those not familiar, was a business that started for Paul as an idea on a notepad initially, but it was driven by personal loss. But it's now he's now become, and the business has now become, a mental well-being partner supporting hundreds of organizations in their fight against mental health stigma. And I should know because we are one of those businesses. I was inspired by Paul's conversation and actually keynote talk that he gave at a Gateway HR conference about 12 months ago. And following that, JJ Recruitment became a partner of Every Mind at Work. Now, for Paul's perspective, as a son, brother and husband and dad to three boys, Paul wants to create change. And we're going to find out exactly why during the course of the show. Paul is also the author of the book, Man Up, Man Down, which we'll find out more about a little bit later on. And it is available and there'll be a link to that book in the show notes. But it suffice to say, Paul's mission is to make a difference to just one person at a time. That's all that matters. So let's find out how, let's find out why. And without further ado, let me welcome Paul to the show. How are you feeling today, Paul? I'm great. And that was the best introduction I've ever had. So thank you for that. Fab. Well, there's a good start. It's a good start. Well, listen, let me start with the first question I ask all my guests, and then we'll jump into the important topic of tackling mental health at work. And the first question is this, what do the words human resources mean to you? It's a great question. I think to me, we don't put that much emphasis on the word human in human resources. You know, we work with a lot of HR professionals who feel very overwhelmed, juggling multiple plates, massive to-do lists. And I think sometimes we forget that anyone working in HR are human too. So that's 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 what I would say. It's about trying to shine the light and support HR a little bit more than maybe they get that support um, currently. Yeah, nice, nice. I like the interpretation. Well, look, I touched upon it quite deliberately, briefly about your your business, but particularly that the every mind at work which you founded was was driven by a personal loss and i didn't think it was my place introduction to bring that story to the listeners i think that's something that that needs to be shared by yourself because it has ultimately led you to being a well-being partner and mental um, health uh, partner to hundreds of organizations doing some fantastic work but i wondered if you could just bring that story um to our listeners ears so they can understand a little bit what about what led you to to, to finding or founding rather every mind at work yeah of course um I'll give you the condensed version. And, and if you want to dive into any specifics, I'll, I'll try and be an open book and as vulnerable as I possibly can. Um, but yeah, my my experience of, of you know, personal loss led to me starting every mind and doing work in the mental health space. And that personal loss come through um, my dad and very sadly losing my dad to suicide when I was 18 years old. And, you know, when, when, when we look at, suicide as a, as a topic when we discuss mental illness or mental ill health I think you know there's lots of preconceived ideas of what that means but you know my dad was someone who I never ever expected to be struggling with mental illness and definitely never expected to to go and sadly take their own life so you know I was 18 when that happened and because of that loss it led me to quite difficult places um, mentally I, I was diagnosed with depression I was diagnosed with anxiety and it took me a good few years of really low periods um, before I found myself in a bit of a, a crisis situation too. Um, but yeah, I was very fortunate in that low moment myself that I did get some support through therapy. And, you know, after a few sessions with a very special lady called Anne, a lady who I would say I, I owe a lot to, um, I felt comfortable talking to her about my dad and how I was feeling. And yeah, it took years and years of pulling the mask off and being more vulnerable and being more open. But as you highlighted, I, I share that story now in the hope of helping others that are in that situation as well. Yeah, sure. And interesting. I know these some of these stats actually just because we obviously subscribe to your work and we read your blogs and your reviews and things like that. But I was really interested to hear that suicide is currently the biggest killer of men under the age of 45 in the UK. Um I would love to know more about why that is. That, that was a shocking statistic for me to read. I have to say, um, that's a, the, the biggest killer of men under 45. Yeah, it's a, it's a, scary, one. On it's a scary one. Um, 
And I would say what's also scary is that that statistic has, has existed for a very, 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 very long time, but it hasn't had the awareness that has it has now. Um, so when you look at some of the statistics, you know, my dad took his own life in 2009 and the conversations of mental health back then were like non-existent. Um, I remember there was just one mental health charity mind back then, you know, it was completely different to what it is now. But, you know, even back in 2009, the suicide rates amongst men was was also really high. The suicide rates back then were really high, but there was no there was no awareness of that. Um, I think men under 45 in particular, women are more likely to, to attempt suicide. Men are three times more likely to die by suicide than women. Um, I believe men struggle to talk. I believe, you know, men have societal pressures of what it takes to be a man when it comes to mental health, that we we struggle to be vulnerable, we struggle to be open, we carry a lot of shame because of that. And and yeah, there's so many other statistics that are scary. You know, suicide is the biggest killer of young people. So as a dad of three, that's something that sticks into mm. my mind, you know. Um, and also, you know, someone dies from suicide every 40 seconds in the world, you know, and that that's, that's recorded suicide. So, you know, I would say that number is far greater if you was to to look at, you know, other causes of death that might be linked towards ill mental health. Um, yeah, it, it's scary, right? And I think we just need to do more to shine a light on those statistics and do more to to prevent prevent those those fatalities from happening. One thing that's um I find interesting is particularly post-pandemic, we hear lots and read lots of reports about the impact the pandemic has had on mental health, the impact that new working environments have had, the pressures that we that we suffer. We're working longer hours. Um, you know, we're, we're now in a, a different type of working culture where we want to work to an output-led culture, but actually there's that thought of, does my boss think I'm doing enough? We talk a lot about imposter syndrome, people feeling a lack of self-worth or emptiness inside. They achieve loads of different mental health considerations to, you know, to consider. Broad of these things in play, pre-pandemic it's just that now we're talking about it more or post-pandemic have these been heightened is is it now a, a more of a a new pandemic if you like that we're, we're experiencing as a result of what's gone before or we just is it just more in public consciousness are we just talking about it more than mm. we did before it's a great observation I, I get asked that quite a lot you know why is everyone why is more people struggling with mental health now than ever before and you know my my answer back to that is is that the truth or is the truth that now we're talking about it? You know, mm. was there a generation where they didn't struggle? You know, I know my my granddad struggled. He just didn't want to talk about it, right? You know, he'd go to the shed or he'd, he'd, he'd have his own ways of kind of keeping it to himself and managing it. Um, and, and, you know, those generations before us, you know, they're human. They're going to be dealing with pressures and challenges. Everyone, everyone has mental health. So I think it was more a fact of there was a lot more silence around it than there is now. And as you say, I think with the pandemic and with COVID, it's opened up more conversations of mental health. It's allowed people to feel safer and more comfortable to share that they, they're having challenges and they're, they're struggling. And, and we shouldn't see that necessarily as, as such a bad thing. You know, we see that a lot in organizations to be quite transparent. It's like, we hear a lot of people saying, we want zero cases of work-related stress, depression, and anxiety. But are we actually then trying to reach a goal where we're eradicating human emotion from the workplace? You know, Or is the actual goal that if one of our team members comes forward and says, I'm really struggling at the moment, I think I need some time off, that openness and honesty and vulnerability was, wasn't, uh, was never there in the workplace. You know, that would be... I need two weeks off because I've got, you know, a physical illness and it would be masking the mental health challenges you're experiencing. So, yeah, I think it's a great observation. I, I don't necessarily think more people are, are struggling. There's lots of more challenges that we have to face. I just think the awareness is increasing, which brings more light to a lot of, of challenges that we're seeing. Yeah, there's a word you use, which I really like, which is the word vulnerability. And you mentioned at the start of the show that you'll you know, try and be vulnerable today. But the reality is, and um the more vulnerable we are, particularly at a leadership, so a founder of your business, I'd be a founder of my own. If we're vulnerable, it allows our company and those that work for us to feel like they can be more vulnerable and it can filter down. I highlight that because we've got HR leaders listening to this, that in my opinion, if we can get the, the stakeholders, the senior directors to start this process of A, talking and B, showing more vulnerability, the hope would be that that's more likely to filter but in your experience of working with businesses, is this a real difficult challenge to overcome? And if it is, what are the obstacles for, that are preventing us from getting stakeholders and senior people at the top of businesses to, to be more open and to be more vulnerable? Mm. Yeah, I think, 
you know, we, there's definitely more discussion that we need to have around vulnerability as a whole in the workplace, because I think we have an, an idea and a picture of what vulnerability means. And that's different for everyone. But for example, if I come into an organization, talk openly about, you know, my dad's suicide and my challenges and everything else, people are like, oh, well, this guy's way too vulnerable. Right? Um, but at the same time, what's the really important part of that is it took me so long to get there. You know, mm-hmm. it, took, it was so difficult for me to say to just someone, um, my dad's passed away. Like that, that was vulnerability. It then took me even longer to say my dad died from suicide. You know, it took me even longer to be able to, you know, talk more openly about those experiences. So what I'm getting at here is vulnerability. There's degrees to it. And I think from a senior leader point of view or anyone in the business, we're not saying start at the most dramatic life changing experiences that you've had. Maybe start at the beginning. Like vulnerability is me saying to, to my team, you know, I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of work that I've got going on at the moment. Or it's me saying that, you know, my nine month old hasn't been been very well the last few weeks. I haven't been sleeping very well. So, you know, apologies if I if I seem a little bit distant on this team call today. Like it's things that we feel comfortable to share and things that we're in control of sharing. So again, you know, I'm very open and honest about a lot of experiences, but there's so much that I'm not going to share with my team. There's so much that I'm not going to share on a talk. There's so much that I'm not going to share on podcasts still because I've still got to peel those layers away myself before I feel comfortable to share that. So from a, from an exec point of view, you know, sometimes I hear from HR professionals, you know, our exec team just won't engage. They won't share. Sometimes we have to get them on a different level and get them to see it differently. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's them sharing a time when they had to be resilient, or maybe it's them sharing about the day-to-day pressures that they experience in the leadership team. Um, or it could be, you know, have their children ever experienced, you know, mental health challenges, you know, and just trying to get them to talk a little bit more openly in a way that they feel comfortable. If we try and get them to share too much too early on, they're going to close up and I'm not going to sure. get involved. But yeah, can we just get them to show a little bit more human side to it? And then that will start to unravel as time goes on. I think something that I've discovered, and maybe it's maybe it's due to my age, I don't know, but I think it's more likely the older we get is that um, everyone, and I don't think there's any exception to the rule, at some point, in theory, is going to suffer some level of trauma that gets to the end of it. And I think we sometimes make an assumption that uh, when we talk about workplace mental health, that we're only talking about stresses that the work creates. And you mentioned a couple of things there, you know, having a, a young child might be unwell. Actually, that impacts us at work. And there may be a, a, a traumatic event that we experience losing a, a parent, losing a, a sibling, or whatever it might be, or just, just illness, or it could be a multitude of things that we know that are outside of work, but we still, you know, we don't have, we're, we're humans, so we're still going to wear that when we come into work. So in your experience, knowing that people do have different traumas, whether we disclose them, whether we don't, what have been some of the the, the positive impacts of being able to share and being able to be vulnerable, being able to talk about mental health in the workplace? Because you mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of people want zero mental health issues, right? But the reality is that's that's not human. It's not probably not possible with the way that, that, that we are as people. But actually, if we can be more vulnerable, we can talk about it, then we can, I would imagine, and hopefully it's working in our business by by partnering with you guys, that allowing our, our employees to feel more supported actually allows them to show their best selves at work. So they can play their best game at work. They can be their best selves knowing they're being supported in that way. And that's my personal experience. Others may, may challenge me on that. But from an expert point of view, I wanted to, I'd love to see your perspective on the impact being open about mental health can have on the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, I think vulnerability is is so, so overlooked. You know, it's so powerful. Um, it's difficult. <laughs> it's really, really difficult. There's a great TED Talk on vulnerability by Brene Brown. Um, she talks about vulnerability as emotional exposure risk and uncertainty and if you bring emotional exposure risk and uncertainty into the workplace it it makes it more uncomfortable and more challenging but as i said there's ways of us being vulnerable in ways in which we can control but vulnerability creates authenticity and when we have authentic connections with our team of course it creates more collaboration you know when we're coming up with ideas or whatever it might be it creates confidence again from a from a leader point of view or again in a in a collaborative environment if there's vulnerability in there it creates confidence you know firstly confidence in that team if someone's leading with vulnerability i might not have the answer here but let's come up with some suggestions but also vulnerability for every individual what i mean by that is when i wore the mask at work and even outside of work you're pretending and you don't want mm. to be caught out that's exhausting 
You know, there's a great quote yeah. that says, when you struggle with your mental health, it's tiring. But when you struggle with your mental health and you pretend that you're okay, it's completely exhausting. So like me wearing that mask and being afraid of vulnerability was so draining because I'm like trying to perform at work and I'm trying to like show everyone that I'm okay, but no one's seeing the commute into work when I'm in my car crying my eyes out, right? Because, you know, I don't want to allow anyone to see that and I'm trying to hide that. So again, when I've become comfortable with being vulnerable, there's more of a confidence from me that I, I can potentially be in a situation where the idea that I share might not be received well, or there might be something that I share that, you know, exposes me as an individual. But the main thing with vulnerability is it creates trust. And there's a lot of yeah. talk about psychological safety at the moment, psychological safety in a workplace, reducing stigma in the workplace. I think you have to have that trust. And it's something that I saw very early on when I started to share my story about six, seven years ago, and I was never prepared for it. Here's my story. Here's what happened to my dad. I hope that it helps you. What I wasn't prepared for was people coming back and saying, here's my story. Here's my story. Yeah. Here's what I went through. And I'm like, whoa, like that's that's vulnerability because now they see someone as human who's been through an experience and it creates trust that allows them to feel more comfortable to share. So again, there's so many benefits of vulnerability. And yeah, we just need to embrace it a bit more because coming back to the point of having no work-related stress, depression, anxiety, absences you know if you get people to talk earlier it becomes more preventative you know the problem with my dad is we didn't know there was a problem until it was too late and then yeah. when he took his own life his organization then did stuff about it then the same with me I left my job because I could not deal with it any longer I couldn't deal with that environment where I felt uncomfortable to talk to anyone about it so again if we don't create that open environment what we tend to find is people don't talk about it but then when something happens it's more drastic they're leaving the business or sadly stuff happens whereas again if we open up that conversation earlier i might have a conversation with my manager in a more preventative way which can then be dealt with and then it can have you know greater impacts positively on the business as well Sure. That no, makes makes perfect sense. So we'll, we'll delve a little bit more into that psychological safety piece in, in a moment. I want to find out something that I read on your LinkedIn profile, actually, where you said that your biggest threat to your life is you. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, it, it comes back to that statistic that you you shared earlier. You know, as a men, men of under 45 years old, biggest killer is, is suicide. And, and we see that statistic sometimes and, you know, we, we, we see how shocking it is. But I think Sometimes when you flip it and, you know, I'm a man of under 45 years old, um, I'm in that demographic. So actually, as I sit here, you know, the biggest threat to me is me. The, you know, as a, as, a, as a dad of three boys, as a husband, as a colleague, whatever it might be, the biggest threat to me is me because the leading cause of death of men under 45 is suicide. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I tried to use that as a bit of fuel is because already I'm saying to myself, I haven't really got time to go for that walk later, to go for that run later, things that I'm planning for my mental health. You know, I've got a therapy session booked in for next week. I'm looking at my diary, could probably skip that, right? But at the same time, that reminder of what's the biggest threat to me right now, well, it's me, it kind of pushes me and makes me prioritize myself a little bit more. So it's, it's a bit of a different way of looking at it, but I think we we have to do all that we can to prioritize ourselves, our, our mental health and our well-being a bit more. And by looking at that statistic and saying the biggest threat to me is me, um, helps me do that. You know what? It's, it's interesting. And we talked slightly off air about this, but it links quite nicely to me procrastinating to a certain degree, right? So full disclosure to start my introduction, we we are a partner of Above Everyone. Where we have we have your your solution. We have our uh, the app is, is is available to all of our employees. But I saw Paul's talk for those listening now, watching this on, on video uh, over a year before I introduced that to our business. And it sat on my to-do list as something that I knew we had to do. I knew it was going to add value to our employees. I wanted them to feel supported before they reached any kind of crisis point. The story really resonated with me. And I thought, right, we need to put all our well-being efforts into one place. Let's do this. But it sat on my to-do list for over a year. It was there every day, every page, moved over, written again, and it just passed past us. Because it probably wasn't a priority at that time for me. What kept, suddenly hit me at home was, um, well, it came home was actually... With, it's not always about me. I've got a workforce of 26, 27 other people that I've got to support. And just because it's not, I'm not at that crisis point doesn't mean that they're not. 
And it came to it came to a point that that realization hit me in the face, and I got someone else in my team to go. We've got to get this in place now. And actually, it was up and running in no time, and it was it was fantastic. You guys have been great getting it on board. But a really good example, just to highlight what you were mentioning there, really, that actually, just because it's not as a business owner, just because it's not my immediate priority, and yeah, it is easy for me to skip it. I'll do it next time. It suddenly mm-hmm. dawned on me that it's not always about whether it's my priority or not. It could be a priority right now for one of my employees. Um, and it is a great you know, place to, to put all of our well-being efforts into, into one spot. It's, it, you, know, you create a user app, which is fantastic. Um, tell us a little bit about the Every Mind at Work business, the concept, what you do support. Um, I could sell it very easily, but you're the expert <laughs> and founder of it. So yeah, tell, tell the listeners, bring it to life a little bit for them and, and, and what it's all about. Yeah, sure. Um, it, it's evolved a lot. Um, you know, as I started to share my story a bit more on social media at the beginning. And I started to work with, you know, some mental health charities. And, you know, this, as I say, goes back sort of five, six years ago. I was just, I want to, I want to share this story and get it out to more people. And, and then, you know, I started to have organizations reach out and say, can you come and do a, a lunch and learn? Um, can you come do a talk for our employees? But it was always, you know, World Mental Health Day or Mental Health Awareness Week, you know, a sort of yeah. a day of the year where, you know, back then, let's talk about mental health and, and do something about it. But I, I started to see the real impact of vulnerability and sharing stories, personal experiences in the workplace. But then I was always very disheartened of like what happens next. You know, I'm starting these conversations, vulnerability, people are in this room, you know, sort of sharing stuff. And you see the shock on people's faces of, I never knew that person experienced that. I never knew that person experienced that. Feedback was always great. You know, conversations now kicking off. But, you know, I never kind of saw how do we provide that support after that talk. So the initial idea for the EveryMind app come from that. So the idea of the app was how do you provide that mental health support, you know, in employees' pockets whenever they need it, 24-7. And the idea of that as well was because my dad was an engineer, you know, and if he had a tool like an app or something where he heard people's stories or he could get that support very quickly, would it have made him get that support a bit faster? So the app was our first product and, you know, we launched around just before COVID. And and then since then, we've really like developed our, our whole our whole offering. So on top of that, we do lots of well-being sessions virtually, in-person, manager workshops. We do a lot of mental health first aid training. And also we've just launched uh, support for mental health first aiders themselves. So in other words, you know, how do we support the supporters in businesses? So we provide a lot of clinical supervision. We've developed another platform to help sort of track impact of mental health first aiders. So there's lots that we do, but what we do is we tailor everything to every business. So what we are working with you guys is very different to how we would approach the work that we do with Wagamama and Co-op and sure. Superdry and everything else. So, yeah, our mission is to reinvent the way that businesses approach mental health in the workplace. And, and yeah, we've just got a variety of different ways in which we do that. So, yeah, it's exciting. It's it's we're, we're still growing. There's 15 of us now. I'm very grateful. The whole team are very passionate. They've all got their own experiences and champion it themselves. And um yeah we're, we're trying to make an impact and that's what we're trying to do and it's, it, it also provides a, a confidential platform for people to open up as well right so you know a lot of the anxiety or the stigma that we talked about earlier is that people don't want to raise their concerns they wonder that boss might look at them differently or they may be viewed differently or that vulnerability may impact them negatively in a promotion or something else but you know offer a confidential space for people to either find out more or to open up as well which i think is really important there's a bit Mm. of me as a business owner that hopes no one accesses the app right because i'm hoping everyone does have zero mental health but the reality is people are going to go through different challenges different times and knowing they've got that support when they need it that's the key for me you know if you you know i I don't need to know who's accessed that i just need to know that you know it's there and people need to know it's there to access if they need to but as you said you, you offered a quite what i would call a blended approach to to learning more about this subject. And the reason I highlight that, particularly for HR professionals is, and they'll be like me, I'm sure, they must get, like I do, inundated with new apps, new products, new, particularly around the world of mental health, which is a buzzword as well. People want to talk about their HR agendas, people agendas, we've got to make sure we're, we're, we're addressing this, uh, this, this issue and, and rightly that we do. But a lot of them seem to be quite reactive, um, mm-hmm. almost like a... a I don't like using the word tick box, but they're reactive as a solution. And one of the reasons I was drawn to EveryMind is because it's proactive in the way that you offer the blended learning solution. Tell me about some of the impacts of that. Why did you decide to take a blended learning approach? And have you found that that's had more staying power, for want of a better word, to, to actually create the change that I know sort of reverts back to your mission statement of actually having an impact on someone? That, that's what it's all about. Yeah, 100%. Like you say, I mean, the whole concept of every mind was we don't want to be reactive, we want to be proactive. And Again, it comes from the fact that 
you know, when it came to the experience that I have with my dad, you know, he was a he was at work and he was, you know, his his almost normal self. There were looking back, there were definitely some behavior changes, but there wasn't many that we ever identified or or could have really been aware of at that time because we just didn't expect it to happen to him. And then it was literally like that. All of a sudden, his behaviors changed. All of a sudden, you know, he was now telling us that he was struggling and, and got to the doctors as soon as possible and signed off for work for two weeks, um, prescribed antidepressants, all of this stuff. And and yeah, he he attempted suicide six days after that. So that is so reactive. You know, that that isn't a, a man who's had a bad work week at work. That's a man who's been dealing with years and years and years of this almost silence. And then in that moment where they where he now wanted to talk about it was at the moment when he was in that crisis point. Um, and I was the same, like two, three years after my dad's suicide, the, the day that I went and got that support from therapy was the lowest point of my life. So it was very much for me, you know, we're, we're reactive. I was reactive. My dad was reactive organizations were reactive we don't have a mental health problem no one talks about it oh no now someone's potentially you know sadly taking their own life what do we do about this so I wanted to just flip it on its head you know how do you put as many barriers in the way as possible to hope that those people don't get there and and that's where we focus you've got a lot of solutions out there that do focus on that if you need that desperate support reach out to this number or, or call this person what we try and do is flip it and say how do we create prevention how do we tackle stigma how do we um provide them with the tools that they need to be proactive we're never going to stop everyone from getting there but we'll do as much as we can to potentially prevent as many people as possible so yeah it's being proactive but also as you were sort of saying it's, it's being holistic there's no one size fits all approach to this stuff <laughs> like we, we need to move away from that it doesn't work yeah, like sure. you can't just find here's one solution that's going to benefit five thousand people in the business it's that that doesn't work because engagement levels will be extremely low and as you say, every business is different, the journey that they're on, but every individual in the business is different as well. So as you've said, some individuals that might be early on in their journey, they want that confidential support. But what we then find is there's lots of other people in the business that are more open about it and they want to do the more practical stuff like in group settings and everything else. So it's looking at it more holistically and and as you say, takes more work and resource from our point of view, but um, mm. every everything is tailored. Like uh, you, you can't, you can't treat uh, an organization in hospitality with 5,000 employees the same as a, a tech company with with 20, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So something that um, resonated with what you said there is, you know, a lot of people will say we don't have a mental health problem because no one's talking, no one's raised any concerns. Actually, that, that that's probably a hard time. Just because no one said anything doesn't mean you don't have a mental health problem, right? That's That could be part of the problem in itself. Maybe the environment isn't there where people feel comfortable to talk about it so we've got a lot of hr leaders professionals directors and so forth that, that listen to this show what would you recommend would be the first step they could take to creating that that psychological safety you you mentioned earlier that kind of environment that that can help start those conversations that can can help their business to be more proactive in terms mm -hmm. of addressing mental health issues in the workplace yeah, there's, there's a concept that we're doing a lot about at the moment. We, we call it the ripple effect. And I think this could be something that any HR professional could do to have more impact when it comes to mental health in the workplace. So best way of explaining it is, is mental health in the workplace, well-being in the workplace, it tends to sit on HR's shoulders. Now, the problem with that is HR are very empathetic individuals. They're incredible people. The ones that we speak to, they, 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 they want to do more. But the problem is, is like they're spinning multiple plates, like they're doing so yeah. much other other stuff as part of their day to day responsibility. So and then the other problem is, is if it just sits in HR and HR are just communicating it out, there's sometimes a lack of trust from people in the business um, as well, because it's just coming from the organization. So the ripple effect is how do you start to find champions or ambassadors or, you know, allies in the business that you can work alongside? So you, you hear a lot about employee resource groups, wellbeing networks. They are so powerful if implemented right. And again, mental health first aiders can fit in that too. But what we focus on is quality over quantity. So in other words, there's a great, there's a great example. Um, Southern, East, Southern Eastern Railway, a guy called Lee, who I'm a good friend with, he has 30 of what he calls advocates across 3,000 employees in the railway. 
And this thirty are such high quality in the way that they've been trained, in the way that they are now supported and embedded into the business. That thirty have such a great impact on the three thousand. You know, it doesn't sound like a huge amount of people, just thirty to three thousand, but that is the impact if you get it right and you get the right quality. But yeah, the ripple effect is essentially have a small group of individuals that support you in HR and are champion in mental health well-being support them in the right way, implement them in the right way, because that small group of individuals will have that ripple effect out across the business. They'll start to impact, you know, one, two, three, four people. And as time goes on, that ripple effect out will start to reach more people in the business. And again, that concept comes from the fact that, you know, if I do a talk to 100 people in a business, I can bet if I do a good job, maybe four or five of them, you know, might feel comfortable to say something after the session to one of their colleagues. Now the ripple effect is invisible because I don't see that conversation, but when that conversation happens with four or five of them to someone else, now you've got more people that are now having a conversation. They go and share it to someone else. They go and share it to someone else. So yeah, I think I would say start there. Don't try and find one initiative or one provision in a business that can reach everyone start with a core group of people, support and implement them in the right way, and it will ripple out if it's done well. Yeah, fantastic. I have to say for those listening, uh, we've taken that approach uh, following Paul's advice as well. So we, and I have to say it surprised me as a business owner. So I thought, okay, we're going to create these these groups, make sure the conversation is being had by anyone who wants it. So it's not senior specific, it's open to all. And um, we opened it up and said, who would like to do become a qualified mental health first aider just shy of 25 percent of the entire business we've got 28 employees but then it was five or six people all said they'd like to go for the course and interestingly it's not we've put everyone that wanted said yes want to do it fine yeah they're all going and we're investing in, in that but not only do they get a chance to to learn more and be that champion they felt invested in because we gave an opportunity and we're funding that course for them to do it they've set up their own group and it's led to other initiatives we're now doing so we now give a day off um, or time off without annual leave for people that want to give blood for example and that's come out of the group and in terms of the charitable work that we do and the charities we choose we try and now the group are part of that decision making process about where we want to put our charitable donations to and actually the ripple effect you talk about it's not it's been broader than i anticipated when we set this up and they meet once a month they, they, they minute it professionally and it gives everyone a voice in our company i know we're small what I guess that the point I'm making or want to make is I was really surprised at how many people wanted to be part of this and really mm-hmm. put their head above the parapet and said, look, I'll do that course. Yeah, I want to be a mental health champion. This is this is this, this resonates with me. This is important to me. Um, and mm-hmm. if you know if five or six employees in a 26 employee company say yes, then I would guarantee that in most companies, there'll certainly be enough people that will raise their hand and say, yeah, I'd love to be that champion and, and can help help spread that message. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, look, I'm really pleased that we've done what ultimately what you've recommended because it's working. So I can say that yeah, as a business. It's great, it's, great, it's great to hear. And I think that's a great example as well of like no matter the size of your business, just having a, a core group of people that are passionate and coming up with ideas and driving it forward. It, it, it Yeah, like you say, it's, it has incredible impact. So I'm glad I'm glad it's working for you as well, because again, it's, if it just sits on HR shoulders or the exec team shoulders, it often gets lost. But when you get that core group of people together coming up with ideas and driving it forward, enabled by the business and HR, then that's where impact starts to happen. What would, what would you recommend? You said um, earlier, which which I thought was interesting, that, and you're absolutely right, HR often spinning loads of plates at the same time. Um, and that is challenging in HR that, that one of their roles is to look after the people of their business, their, their, their mental well-being, their the appraisal process, disciplinaries, all the all the things that come under that the, the, the people agenda, so to speak. But I would always, no, it's not always true. And those that listen to this show will know I've used this reference before. But I would often liken an HR professional to if we're in a you're on a plane and it's going down and the gas mask, you know, or the mask drop down, they would probably go and put masks on everyone else before they put it on themselves. Right. And actually, we know if you look after yourself first, you can serve others better. And that's why they say put your own mask on before you, you serve the children. With that kind of a metaphor i guess or, or, or reference point what would you recommend to the hr listening to this who go i agree with everything you've said we're going to put these groups in there are all these different things but actually the person that most needs the support is the hr person who struggles to do it because they know they need to be that that mother hen or, or that person for everybody else and i think that's a real problem in the world of hr at the minute i think I think it's a challenge for them to be vulnerable, particularly they 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 probably may even be naturally vulnerable people. But in this particular instance, because it relates so closely to their professional work of being there to support others, 
they often don't seek the support for themselves. So in that particular example or challenge, what would you what would you say? What would you recommend? Yeah, I think as you say, it's I see it a lot. I, you know, HR professionals they struggle to put themselves first, and and I would say that they're always the individuals that hey, can you sort this out? Can you sort that out? I always kind of use the, the use the kind of the joke of saying that when it comes to to mental health in the workplace, it's hard enough looking after your own mental health, let alone supporting yeah. you know, thousands of employees that you sum now- it up way better than I just did, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you've, you've now been tasked with mental health and well-being for thousands of people. What are you going to do? And it's oh, still trying to figure out my own stuff. Right. Um, so, see, I think it's it's providing more support to them. It's, it's a lot of what we do as a business as well. Um, we're always looking at what support HR need. And as, as you know, we have like a, a 12 month roadmap, which takes care of like comms events for the whole year, because yeah. we was finding is, you know, HR professionals were getting some sort of heat of, hey, you know, World Mental Health Day is coming up next week. What are you doing? And, oh, I don't know. And then all of a sudden you're Googling it and, you know, you're trying to find stuff. And you don't know whether it's verified or not. So the idea of the roadmap was more aimed at, yes, we can provide wider support to businesses, but it, it was for HR professionals, you know, here's, here's everything mapped out, you know, six weeks in advance, it's all verified by clinical psychologists. So, you know, it's there, it's verified and it's there for you to use. So um, we're always looking at how do we solve the problem of HR not having the time for this, because then we can have greater impacts on the wider business. Um, but yeah, I, I believe HR professionals, it, it's hard, but putting yourself first, prioritizing yourself, is difficult to do but but it needs to happen because again it's i'm going to use a cliche quote now it's um don't set yourself on fire to keep others warm you know when you're doing that you're juggling loads of plates you're putting everyone else first there comes a time where your limit has has been reached and and you burn out or you you hit that really difficult crisis point where you can't support anyone else in that stage so yeah, it's almost thinking of it in that term of like, how do I start to to focus on myself now so I can sustain the support that I want to give to others um, and not feeling guilty or selfish for putting yourself first? By the way, yeah, a great example. I've never heard that cliche before, um, actually. So I'll, that, that, I'll, I'll keep that. I'll always say as well, if, there's, if, it, if something is a cliche, we should notice that. We should listen to it. They're cliches for a reason, right? And I think that was a really clear way of, of putting that down. Interestingly, and this, this was... I promise you not pre-prepared, but it, it, it struck me when you were talking about your calendar of events and what you do for businesses. So I've been obsessed this morning and by the time this gets published, this day would have gone and passed because we'll edit and, and get out later. But today is World Book Day, right? And I'm just my son up as Dennis the Menace. He's gone off to school. Uh-huh. But actually then we got your calendar of events. And we also know, and as a business, we are promoting today that it's a Mental Health Awareness Day for teens. And mm. it's a really interesting thing that I would not have been aware of that without the partnership that we have. And actually that just raises your awareness for the whole business and a lot of our, the people that work for me have teenagers and it raises awareness for them. And if it's just checking in with your teenager or checking in with a teenager, you know, or just raising awareness, awareness, we know leads to insight, insight leads to action. And you just don't know that one conversation from your calendar post today to remind us of what the day is could have an impact on someone. And I think that can be, yeah. be really, really powerful. And um, last question I want to ask you before we open the vault, uh, Paul is what's the question I haven't asked that actually, I should be as a podcast host when we're talking about such a sensitive area of mental health, uh, particularly in the workplace, that you think actually Nick, it'd be really helpful for your listeners to be aware of maybe the statistic or aware of this process protocol challenge um, that might be really helpful for, for the listeners to take away from, to, from today's show. Really good question. What question can you ask me? Um, one thing that we're starting to do a lot more around is supporting the supporters and I do think HR fit in that mix as well. 100%. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for example, we did a, a whole webinar on this yesterday. We we focused more on mental health first aid in the business because recently it was announced that there was a, a bill in Parliament that, you know, potentially looked at making mental health first aid mandatory in organisations. So, in other words, every business has to have a mental health first aider in the same way, you know, businesses would need to have a physical first aider a lot of the time. Um, and I'm very anti that. I think it comes from a good place with positive intent. But the problem that we see is not training people to be mental health first aiders. The problem we see is like supporting the supporters. So like supporting mental health first aiders. And also, as I say, HR can fit in that mix too. So for example, what I'm getting to is, is there's a lot of businesses at the moment that have mental health first aiders or they have people, even like, as I say, HR professionals, managers, 
that are kind of trying to help others with mental health. But when you don't wrap that support around those individuals, it opens up a lot of risk, opens up a lot of challenges. You know, the personal risk of, from a mental health first aid point of view, you know, compassion fatigue, you know, secondary trauma, like, you know, burnout, overwhelm, because they're now the individual that are having conversations with lots of people and they've got their own stuff that they need to deal with. And same as HR. Equally, from a legal point of view, there's a there's some really interesting stuff coming out about, you know, businesses that leave mental health first aid as unsupported could open up liability to the organization. Because again, you know, this is us asking them to do another role. But at the same time, if we're not supporting them, that can have a big challenge. And, and overall, like the impact on HR, because I'm from our conversations with HR professionals that have mental health first aiders, there's a lot of fear around them not being skilled enough, not being supported enough. And that always comes back onto HR's shoulders. It's like they're now having to support someone, a mental health first aider who's just had a difficult conversation or someone who they've now escalated to HR. And then they're like, oh, well, how do I deal with this? I've not got that training yeah. too. Yeah, we, we're doing a lot on that. And, and what's a really interesting thing to look at is um, we're now offering like on-demand supervision. So it's a supervision that any mental health first aider can tap into um, within 24 hours. And the reason why we're offering that is because as a clinical psychologist or counsellor, it is a mandatory requirement to have at least an hour or an hour and a half of supervision every month, no matter if you're seeing no clients or seeing lots. With mental health first aid, you do a two-day course and you're recommended to do refresher training every three years. So in other words, you do years and years of study to become a counsellor and then you have mandatory supervision on top of that mental health first aid you do hours of training and then there's there's none of that so see it's a really interesting thing that's opening up at the moment so um that's something that yeah on on that i know you haven't asked me a question i've kind of just answered my own question no but it, ma- but, but, it makes know, sense actually i mean yeah. I, I i do some work uh i do some executive coaching work and i have to have a supervisor that you mm. know depending on how many clients i see i need to check in with that supervisor just to, because otherwise you end up wearing those thoughts you end up taking on some of the anxieties the problems and you wear them and you think about them and you need to you need to mm. debrief for yourself because our mind is complex right it, it, it takes on a lot of information and if you speak to lots of people from a coaching perspective in the world that i work in actually eventually those that you can they can start to manifest themselves so we need to offload so we have that from a coaching perspective so i can totally understand why it's 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 really important that that mental health first aiders have that support as well. That makes total sense. Yeah, and then just just on that as well, I think it's a really good point. It's the same as HR, same as mental health first aiders. You know, if I'm a mental health first aider and I've just had a conversation with you, you know, that's that can that can be overwhelming for me. You know, I'm I'm now going to be worried about kind of maybe what you've shared with me, or are you okay? Are you going to be okay? And but then I'm also questioning myself: Did I did I say the right thing? Did I did I sign sure. the right place? And then, and then what am I doing? I'm jumping into work. So of course that's going to impact how I'm working, but then also I'm going to jump back and be dad and husband and everything else tonight. And I'm going to be thinking about that conversation. So supervision is sometimes, as you just highlighted, it's that reassurance that sometimes you need of, you did say the right thing and yeah. maybe you can send them this resource because that might help them. That's clinical supervision. And like you said, I think it's desperately needed in the workplace. And saying things out loud sounds very different to the voice we hear in our heads. That's the other thing a supervisor can do. I just want to finish on one point because you raised it, um, whether you realised it or not, but you mentioned it in your talk when I first met you a year ago face-to-face. And it's a great, great talk that, that inspired us to and led us to this show today. And that was that we there's a big stigma around mental health. And mm-hmm. we're trying to break down the barriers and the stigma of mental health. But you, you highlighted that mental health isn't something that's just for those that are suffering. Mental mm-hmm. health is something that, everybody without exception has it's just that we've created in our society that to be a negative thing because mm. we, we 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 associate it with negative mental health but i wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit because that was one of the things when i met you that really struck a chord is that well i don't suffer from from mental health well actually we all have mental health and it's the word suffer that we need to think about potentially i wonder if you could just bring that to life a little bit yeah yeah exactly it's it's Again, it's all personal experience. I think if you would have asked me, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, even probably after my dad, um, what is mental health? I would have said, I don't have it because because I naturally defaulted to mental illness when I thought yeah. about mental health. And then, you know, I'm, I'm quite transparent about it now. Mental illness to me was straight jackets, padded cells and personalities that don't act like me. Right? That, that, was, my, that was my perception of it because... The only exposure I had to mental illness was 
couple of movies that I saw in newspaper articles and like there was no there's no education around it it was hush hush we don't talk about this um so when I lost my dad that's why it was such a big surprise because I was like he doesn't tick that box of like you know someone who's just died from suicide an engineer someone who meditated psychology a level run every day that wasn't my idea of what someone struggling with a mental illness would be um and as I started to explore the topic more and go through therapy yeah it's like mental health is something that we all have every human has mental health in the same way every human has physical health emotions everything else mental illness is a diagnosable condition that some of us will obviously have but not all of us will we're all we're all um, susceptible to having mental illness sure. as well but at the same time it's like when i was saying let's talk about mental health everyone naturally defaulted to that it's like, i don't want to talk about that scary yeah. stuff like hey, let's not let's not talk about this so it's just reframing like what what mental health means especially like when i do work in construction or different industries that might be a little bit harder to like get get the point across I have to just spend the first 20 minutes and be like, hey, like this is mental health. Like we're all human here. Like we've all been through stuff. And and then they start to see it in that way. You know, we're not talking about mental, mental illness all the time here. It's really important that we do, but this is mental health. We all have it. Let's let's try and talk about that a bit more. So it's changing. But even as you said, and I'd said it in the talk that time, the word mental, like such a negative word. Like, yeah, the connotation crazy, sure. mad, like. You know, all of those, I get it all the time in talks, you know, crazy, mad. Think about another one, my dad, you know, a few years before his, his, his breakdown and the challenges that he went through. You know, my dad spent four months in a mental health unit. A few years before that, my dad used to call a mental health unit a loony bin. You know, it's, it's a loony bin. That's where the loonies go. I remember him saying that to me and my brother. And, you know, I think about that was his education of what a mental health unit was. So can you imagine the judgment he's placing on himself when he's in a mental health unit, if he was taught that that's a loony bin and that's where the loonies go. So it's, we're, we're, we're moving into a, a better place, but there's still a lot of work that we need to do. Yeah, hundred percent. I think uh, actually, interestingly, I'd never really thought about it too you mentioned it then, but even the, the term loony bin, the second word of that bin is somewhere where you throw people away, right? A hundred percent. I mean, I've never even hit me of as to what that, you know, I've heard the term many times before, but uh, the key, it, it's a term that's been used, but actually that second word is so powerful in terms of what that really means. And it's like, wow, that's that the, the fact that, yeah, I mean, it's words can be so powerful and, I, and you're absolutely right with the mental, but it does, it, it sadly, it, it often does create a negative connotation when we think about that word. Uh, but thank you so much, Paul. It's been a, a really good navigation around the topic of mental health in the workplace. I hope people have listening to this have, have taken as much away from it as I have and, and as I did when I first met you and did your first talk. Um, we're going to open the vault briefly. So it's just uh, three short, sharp questions for you. Um, first is, if you could give one piece of advice to the world, what would it be? Good question. Um, don't be ashamed of your story. Let it inspire others. Fantastic. If you had the opportunity, what advice would you give to a younger you just starting out in this new world of work? Don't worry so much about the opinions of others. I think in my early days, I was so consumed about what people thought of me. Um, less so now as I've got a bit older, I still worry. I still, I still people please naturally, but yeah, I think to not be as consumed about other people's opinions of me would have definitely helped when I was younger. Yeah, I love that. I'm a big believer. I'm a big fan of the idea that we're the thinker, not the thought, and we're not our psychology. And I, yeah, I think for me, that resonates quite powerfully. Uh, last one. What is the guiding principle behavior you've seen in every great leader that you've worked with? Mm, kindness, but also clarity. So one thing I've had to learn as a leader is it's important to be kind, but it's also really important to be clear with direction. So what I mean by that as a leader, I was very much about like more so on kindness. And sometimes there was a lack of clarity in like what I was asking people to sometimes do. Um, sure. But there's a great quote again from Brene Brown that she says, clarity is kindness. So again, being able to say to someone, um, can you get that to me by tomorrow morning? That clarity is kindness for that individual as well. So um, yeah, kindness and clarity or clarity is kindness if you want to use Brene Brown's quote. Yeah, fantastic. And kindness is a, is a popular response to that question. We get empathy, we get kindness. It's nice to see that some similar themes appearing here, which is a good thing. But look, 
fantastic conversation today. Where can people find out more about your uh, your business? Um, actually, I should have mentioned, and, and, and maybe there's still a couple of minutes to do so. You've also authored a book, of course, Man Up, Man Down. Uh, it's available on Amazon. I will put a link to that book in the show notes. Um, I wonder if you've got, if you're okay with it, a couple of minutes to tell people about the book. If those that perhaps just want to read a little bit more before they fully engage, and, and you know, there's a, there's a really good book that you put out there as well about your story, which goes into much more detail. But I wonder if you could just bring that to the, to the audience's attention for me. Yeah, it was a few years ago. I got I got asked to um to from a from a, a small publisher who's focused on mental health recovery books to 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 write a bit more about the story. Um, you know, kind of what happened and and kind of the the lessons that I learned from it. So so yeah, that book came out a good few years ago now. Actually, um, I believe it's I believe Amazon. I think last time I saw there wasn't a huge amount of copies left. So I don't know whether that's a good thing or or, or a bad <laughs> thing. But, um, but yeah, it's something that I probably would love to revisit and potentially do again. Focused a lot on advice for those that are bereaved by suicide because it's a very unique form of of grief. But yeah, man up, man down. Very much about my story. Um, exploring like the lessons that I learned through the years and years of therapy and just diving a little bit deeper into yeah understanding my dad a bit more as well yeah super well, there's a great review on there it says it explores what it means to be a man in today's society how we cry how we express emotion and we could admit to when we're struggling even though everything we've been taught tells us to man up and get on with it so um yeah, yeah the reviews are good it's a good book i will put a link to the amazon thing i hope there's still more there but there were there there was some there today when i set this show up so i'll put a link in the show notes for those that want to grab themselves a copy and um, if those want to find out more of course they can go to everymindatwork.com and um, with your permission paul i'll also share your linkedin um address as well for those who want to check you out awesome. maybe send you a connection request um any other links or or, or places you'd like me to, to send them listeners they want to find out more no as you say everymindatwork.com we've got lots of free resources on there we do a monthly webinar every first wednesday of the month for hr professionals and yeah i'm pretty active on social so as you say linkedin's a good place to start Super. And I do recommend you check out the website, every, everymindatwork.com, because as you say, lots of resources, lots of blogs, lots for HR professionals specifically. There's lots more about how to become champions in your workplace. A lot of the concepts that Paul's um, highlighted briefly on today's show, you can really explore more detail. So if, if mental health at work falls under your agenda in your HR roles at the moment, it's worth checking out. Navigate the, navigate the website, find out more if you want to, or just take advantage of some fantastic free resources. So yeah, I definitely recommend they do that. And there's a link in the show notes. And of course, if you are an HR or L&D professional listening to this show, and perhaps actually one of your anxieties or troubles is trying to find great HR staff, then you can contact myself or any of my wonderful team at jgarecruitment.com. There'll also be a link to our website in the show notes. Just leaves me to say a huge thank you, Paul McGregor, for joining me today on the show. And um, yeah, it's been a been a fantastic story about mental health in the workplace. I hope it helps, as you say, just one person and that'll be enough. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Good conversation. And yeah, as you say, every time I, I share, I hope that it helps one person. So hopefully today's podcast has done that as well.